Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Joy Ellis. She has sold millions of books, millions and millions. And the story of how she finally got published is pretty incredible. Goes from living in her car, managing a bookshop, signing for a publisher that didn't quite work out, and then being tracked down by her eventual publisher through a newspaper. She takes us through the whole thing. It, it's a very gripping story in itself. Uh, also, you can hear about her brand new gripping story. It's a crime thriller, a new Jackman and Evans novel. It's called The Patient Man. And we talk about why, when it looked like her books would never make the shelves, why she carried on. It's a bit addictive, writing. Well, it's very addictive. Um, and I had come to realised that it was what I really wanted to do. And I'm not a person to give up easily. Uh, I, I honestly believed that if I just could hold on long enough, it, it would work. Um, I admit, I, I came very, very close just before Jasper's phone call to say, right, I, I, you know, it's not going to work. But that was just the lowest ebb ever. And I, I think that phone call probably came about the day after I felt that way. There is more on the way with Joy Ellis in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Welcome along. My name's Dan. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day. How they get an idea from their head onto the paper and how they plan everything else to get it done. I hope you're enjoying the new Bite Size episodes, by the way. The latest one is with the Carnegie Medal winner, Frank Cotterell Boyce. He's published a whole heap of kids' books, most famous probably millions from the early noughties, which uh, became a film with Danny Boyle. He then worked with Danny on the uh, the London 2012 Olympic ceremony, the opening ceremony to the Olympics. And it's a really good dive through the archives on that one. Hopefully it serves up a little bit of inspiration for when you're next flagging. Uh, this one, this one today, this week, it's a brand new chat for you with Joy Ellis, uh, a crime writer. She was a struggling author and then she published independently. And this year she was up for crime thriller book of the year at the Nibbies. It's an incredible inspirational tale. She sold over two million books in just five years. She's an Amazon bestseller. Uh, she's published over 20 books across different characters. Her new one is a Jackman and Evans story. It's called The Patient Man. It's all about the nemesis. 
sounding very serious, the nemesis, the serial killer, Alistair Ashcroft, who comes back for unfinished business. Now, we talk about why she felt it was the right time to bring a character back. Also, with so many different series of stories, how she decides which character should solve the crime this time, who she wants to write about. Also, how she checks in with the characters that she isn't writing about. And we run through that fantastic publication story as well. So if that's kind of you right now, if only from the little bits that I've mentioned so far... If if waving a few red flags, if it's shining the mirror up to perhaps how you're struggling to get published, I really do recommend sticking through this. It's, It's really inspirational the way that Joy managed to do it and, you know, up for an award this year, up for Crime Book of the Year, sold millions of copies. I know that you might need to hear this this week. Uh, If you enjoy this episode, follow us wherever you get your podcasts from and you can always get in touch with us at writersroutine.com. And let's jump into it then with Joy Ellis, starting as always with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. Oh, too much stuff, I think. (laughs) Uh, uh, I have my own upstairs office in, in our house. Um, I use a, a PC, so I've got two screens that I work with, one for research and one for writing. Um, and around me I have ooh, uh, all sorts of lovely crystals. I have pictures. I've got books everywhere. Um, yeah, quite a lot of writing paraphernalia, an awful lot of notebooks, pens. Um, and I look out from my window over... Uh, fields of rape at the moment. Rape seed is all just coming into brilliant yellow. So it's quite a nice outlook. And it's, it's good to work in, except I have four dogs, which do sometimes crowd the office a bit. <laughs> um, tell me a bit more. You mentioned things on the walls around you, writing stuff that inspires you. What what do you have there? Uh, I Well, I've got a, a large generic um, poster, almost floor to ceiling, of Agatha Christie's collection of every um, title she ever wrote with all the covers of the books on them, which is wonderful. And that that's inspiring, if ever there was one, to see all those titles. I think there's about 74 titles. Um, I've got pictures of my dogs. Um, I also have a, a lovely poster of Joy Ellis with her first three Jackman books on the wall, which is, is rather nice. And I have a massive whiteboard as well because I try and work a little like little like my CID uh, team in, in the books um, with a whiteboard with all my um, characters on them. Well, take me through that then. If I were to walk into your, your office on a day when you are working and writing, when you're in the middle of the story, how would the whiteboard look? Like, would I would it make any sense to me? Is it, is it sprawling notes, odd spider diagrams pointing off in all directions? It's actually quite clear. Um, I usually have my central character, usually not the protagonist. I, I've usually got my uh, antagonist in the middle and you'll find arrows shooting out to either possible victims, um, people who have come across him, uh, the police, you know, that are interviewing him. We've got a, a lot of names on the board, lots of times. I also run a timeline so that I can see days, nights, what happened when. Um, that helps me enormously not to suddenly change day to night or 
say I was seeing him on Wednesday when I suddenly realised it's, it's sort of Friday already. And on the timeline there, Joy, how much of the story do you know before you sit down to write that first sentence? How much of this crime and the revelation, how much have you already figured out? Practically nothing. I'm, I'm an organic writer. Um, I have an idea, but uh, I let I give it over to the characters and I let them write it for me, more or less. It's a little like typing madly as you're watching a TV programme. <laughs> uh, take me to the desk in front of you. You mentioned two computer screens and some writing paraphernalia. Just run us through that. Uh, well, I've got uh, a nice little wooden box full of pens and assorted other things one might need, like screwdrivers and all sorts of interesting uh, stationary articles, a pile of notebooks, um, a lot of printouts with, uh, at the moment because of the coming up uh, with the shortlist for the award. We've, uh, I've got diaries, times, dates, everything all over everywhere. I have a glass of water. I have a note, a, a note block. Um, I have a lucky dog holding a four-leaf clover. And I have uh, quite a lot of crystals. I'm rather fond of carnelian. And I've got all sorts of different kinds of carnelian in little displays just to relax me. May I ask what makes the lucky dog a lucky dog? Uh, he's holding a four-leaf clover for one thing. <laughs> he was given uh, as a gift when I first started writing, and I've had him on my desk ever since. Ah, okay. And uh, yeah, well, and there's, you know, spots of success mostly recently. I mean, huge success recently. We'll get to that in, ju- in just a sec. Um, uh, and this it, it gets niche, by the way, Joy, just in case me asking about your, your notebooks was a bit too much. Um, you've got two computer screens. What are you writing on? Uh, is it Word? Is it a writing software? And also... What font do you write with? I, I use Word and I, I always use Times New Roman. I'm very f- basic. <laughs> very, very standard. And does, does that process stay the same throughout all your drafts while you're editing as well? Yes, absolutely. Amazing. I've, I've spoken to writers before who mix it up. They'll maybe edit in a different font just so it kind of keeps things different in their mind. I don't know. How, 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 do, how much do you feel about that how much of a chore is is kind of second drafts and editing sometimes i i i personally every time i finish doing some work i go back over it and i edit it almost at source i i i don't like to keep going back over when it's finished i like to know as i'm working along i try and pick up anything that i want to change that I feel isn't quite right, words that just don't gel properly, and, and I do it at the time. And I always, I like to work very early. So whatever I did the day before, I read through the following morning, around about six o'clock possibly. Um, and then it's very clear, and I can sometimes see things that uh, the day before looked okay, but I knew there was something, little alarm bells going. Uh, in the morning, I can clarify it. So at the end of the book, I've more or less got what I'm happy to send off to the publisher. Now, when that comes back from the publisher, just before we get into your writing day, because you're, boy, you, you, you're just you're over twenty books down now of kind of the the the, the more recent incarnation of your storytelling. Um, when you do send it off to the publisher, uh, when you've been making edits every day, 
uh, how much do they normally come back with for future drafts? Or is that first one you handed more or less? Is that what gets published? I, I have very good editors, like extremely good editors at the publishing house. And they, uh, let's say my, my finished work is a little like an overgrown garden and they do a lot of weeding and pruning and they make it a lot clearer. They're, they're, I am inclined, I do believe, to, to possibly overwrite a little. Um, well, let me- let me ask you this very quickly, Joy. Let me just cut in. And this is not meant in any form of aggressive way at all um, or, or any critical way. It's just interesting to me that you are editing every day, that you know you overwrite, yet that's still happening. How do you feel about that? It's just my way. I just sometimes I hear people, I, I do a lot of dialogue and I'm inclined to hear what people say. And when it actually, the editors do a different job to what I'm doing. I'm telling a story. And when they come to, to read it through, they look at it in a completely different way. And they can sometimes say exactly what I want to say with less words. <laughs> and <laughs> it's much more succinct. Um, and it, it cleans it up, it tidies it up, and it, it brings more pace to it. I'm not basically saying I'm a crap writer. Please don't think this. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think that at all. <laughs> it's just I, I know it's a bit of an outpouring. And sometimes in a book, when you're actually reading it, you can say exactly what I've just said, but in a much more clear way. And and, and they, they're very, very good. I mean, they don't take out any of the feeling they don't take out anything necessary and and if I think they have I mean it's down to me in the end if I think they've taken out something I want in they let me put it back it's as simple as that early start as I say I I, I mean I'm at my happiest when I can get in front of the computer by six o'clock but we do my partner and I we do have four animals (laughs) four lovely dogs Springer Spaniels Um, so there are sort of things to do with them before before I usually start my day, and then my partner takes over. So, what time will you wake up, Joy? Sorry, to to, to kind At of half five generally. So you're still in possibly a slightly dozy state when you are getting down to it at six. No, I, I I'm very much a morning person, um, and I I sort of am at my brightest to be honest when I've just got up. Uh, I I don't feel sort of. In fact, I feel there's more clarity in my mind when I just got up than, than at any time of the day. May I ask, uh, how long did it take to, for you to figure out that you were a morning person? What kind of rang that bell and said, oh, hang on, I'm much more energetic at 6am than I am at 6pm? I think being a florist, um, originally, I, I, and then I had my own flower shop, which meant going up to Covent Garden Market in London from Surrey every morning and well not every morning um but when we did go up it was very early uh, you know sometimes we'd be in there three o'clock or before uh, other times you know sort of you'd have to be really on the ball by four o'clock for flower buying um and your day started early and you hit the hit the ground running you were out you were buying you were loading the vehicles you were getting back to the shop unloading the vehicles and then your day started so I think I've always really been a, a morning person. Um, so then what happens? So you're sat there, it's six o'clock. 
uh, how do you know what you're writing that day? Just talk us through your your, your day of writing from there. I First of all, I read what I've done the day before. I always do that, read it through, look at it, make changes, and that puts it all back into perspective. The whole sort of book then comes back to you. Uh, and then I just make a start. And usually I've had an idea in my head overnight that I wasn't aware of because I was asleep, and uh, it just materialises in the morning, and I can... I can work on then just break off for breakfast and uh, I can work on till sometimes about 11. It depends. It does depend but because uh, life does get in the way, as you all know. Um, but I, I'm, I'm quite happy sort of working in the mornings. But I have to say, get to lunchtime and my brain starts to turn to porridge and I have no way can I concentrate on the book. Uh, I've tried to push through and it just doesn't work. It doesn't happen. Um, so I walk away from the office and the computer and go and do other things generally during the afternoon. Or I answer emails, do all the Facebook media stuff, um, get that out of the way because it takes a different kind of thought. It, I'm not thinking about the book. Uh, and then I guess it's by the time I get to early evening we eat and then I come back into the office and start thinking again and funnily enough I start absolutely able to write at around nine o'clock and I generally give it another hour or an hour and a half um, and turn in around about 11. It's interesting you you, you bookend your um you, you, you bookend your day with this writing at 11 o'clock in the morning at 11 12 whenever it is that you you feel yourself stopping for the day. Why are you stopping? Is it is it a word count that you've wanted to hit? Is it um, just a feeling of lethargy? It is lethargy, definitely. I, I do get tired. You know, it's, it's you you you've put so much into it, and of course, you know there are things that you've got to you know you've got on your mind as well from you know just daily life and friends and everything that's going on around you. Uh, and I feel it just gathers up at me about that time, and I am tired. W- what? constitutes a good writing day for you joy what will you be happy with getting done I, I, I try not to give myself targets um because i don't want to not achieve them so really i'm just i'm just really pleased whatever i can get as long as it's a sort of over five pages um to start with uh, you know and 10 pages maybe by the end of the day then i'm happy so at, on moments when the the words aren't coming too clearly uh, and you're sat there and it's just nothing's happening. How do you remedy that? Is there any tricks? Is there any you know tips, maybe a, a cup of coffee or a bit of music at a certain point, which just perks you up and helps unclog that block? Generally, I rely on the dogs. I go, I go and find a dog to cuddle or have a word with one of them. Um, I get out in the garden. I, I, if I can, I much prefer to get outside for a little while. That's, uh, you know, breathing some fresh air and uh, you do feel better. And I'm a, I'm a great tea lover. I do love my cup of tea. Um, I was sent an email recently uh, by someone who wants to know more about how writers got their first book published. Now, yours is quite an interesting story that I'd like you to take us through if that's okay. So this is with um, when you had an agent, had you had a publisher before, but it didn't quite work out. And then you you went off and you managed a bookshop and then you came back and were published again when someone found you through the paper or something like that. And I know it's a bit of a 
circuitous route, Joy. So I don't suppose you could just take us through that as best you can. Yeah, I mean, we moved up to Lincolnshire from down south uh, at the millennium, at 2000. And at that time, I started really trying to write in earnest. I wrote two books that were taken by uh, an agent who dealt in specifically. These were cross-genre. They weren't crime books. They were crime in essence, but there was a paranormal um, hint to it. And, uh, he was he was very excited about this book and thought the first one would do very well. But sadly, they couldn't place it. And I didn't know at the time cross-genre was difficult to place. And it all fell through. And uh, I decided this was perhaps not the way to go. I should try a different sort of genre. And I started writing in earnest. And I, I think I probably wrote about four books. And then I got an agent who was wonderful. I mean, she was a lovely woman. And she managed to get two of them into hardback with Robert Hale. Um, and I was absolutely delighted at this. But we're looking back at it, and the, the hardbacks were very expensive. Um, there was very short print runs. We only had a print run of 300. And really, you were expected to, to sell as many as you possibly could yourself. Uh, and, of course, after a while, the print run ran out. They decided not to take it any further. My agent tried very hard to find somewhere else for me, but uh, I continued to write over a period of 12 years. Um, this was from 2000 to 2012 when the first one went into print. Then we had a couple of sort of really lean years where nothing was happening. I couldn't find another publisher. Uh, and sadly, my lovely agent became ill and passed away. And I was left thinking, where now? And she'd said, don't waste anything. Hugely important. Whatever you've got out there, if you can self-publish, try it. I didn't think I was capable of it, to be honest. Um, but I did. Uh, I managed to get, uh, I think I'm not sure, probably about four books um, up and running as e-books. But it was, there was nothing much coming back. And I thought, I don't know. I think maybe I'm wasting my life here. And I was just at the point of giving up. And I had a phone call from Jasper Joffe of Joffe Books, who was at the time a small independent um, publisher. And he tracked me down through an interview with a local paper uh, years before when the first book came out. And he said he was very interested in, in my work and would I consider working with him. And he was just the most passionate man about books, publishing. And I thought, yes, this is the way to go. And I knew immediately this was everything was going to change. And it did. He's just been incredible. I mean, I, I have probably sold about 2.4 million books. And if you add on possibly 3 million, if you add the pages read on Kindle Unlimited to that, this is all in under five years. In the, in that time, some of which you called the lean years, <clears throat> but in the moments between 2000 and 2012, when you're writing consistently and nothing's really happening, I guess the question is, why carry on so uh, forcefully, I guess, for want of another word, I don't really like that, but you know, why 
why keep cracking when there are so many near misses? Uh, so uh, some people might have given up a lot earlier. Why? Why did you push through? Because I believed I could. I. I it's a bit addictive writing. Well, it's very addictive, um, and I had come to realise that it was what I really wanted to do. And I'm not a person to give up easily. Uh, I, I honestly believed that if I just could hold on long enough, it, it would work. Um, I admit, I, I came very, very close just before Jasper's phone call to say, right, I, I, you know, it's not going to work. But that was just the lowest ebb ever. And I, I think that phone call probably came about the day after I felt that way. Um, little bit of uh, karma going on there, I think, because I, I had tried so hard. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Just very quickly before we jump back to it with Joy, I want to just sway you towards the Patreon if you're enjoying the show. If you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you tell your stories, maybe you've been inspired by Joy's publication story and it'll push you on to make sure it happens for you. You can always help us out at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Just a, a couple of dollars a month really helps us keep bringing you chats with the best authors around as often as we can. We've got some really brilliant chats on the way as well. Some huge bestsellers are coming on the show over the next few months. And by supporting us over at Patreon, you get some merch, you get our eternal thanks, you get more bonus episodes. And there is even a way for your story to uh, your book to sponsor this show. A little goes an incredibly long way on this, I promise. Anything that you can spare is amazing, would be greatly appreciated over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Joy Ellis chatting about her brand new book, The Patient Man. In this half, we talk about how much she thinks about the twist and the turns of the story and why she likes to send readers on a wild goose chase. Also, you can hear how she gets ideas for for future books at utterly random times and how she has to sit on them for a little while, much like this one, really. And we pick things up with just a little bit more about her path to publication. Why does she think it took a little while for her to be discovered? 
I don't think the early stuff was was that bad, but it's it's very much like you you're sort of learning your trade. Um, there's things you just don't know when you first start, and things that I don't say you shouldn't break the rules because I'm a great one for that. But there are things that really you need to know and you don't. Uh, and once you've sort of come across a lot of pitfalls, and if you've had a lot of rejection slips, and I, I always say, you know, you you screw them up, throw them in the bin, get them out, and read them. And uh, when you read them, sometimes people have been incredibly good with their time in reading your book and telling you what they honestly believe, how you could improve it. Uh, and if you actually take that on board, sometimes there's real nuggets of, of knowledge in there that you know you can you can really work with. And I think as time goes by, you do improve. As long as you can just take that rejection on the chin. And it's not easy because sometimes you, you've slaved over this book. You know, every every word has been sort of dragged out of your soul. And then somebody says, oh, we're going to cut that bit out. But it's it's worth it. It really is. And, and I think Jasper did see that the books were going to be good enough. I'm always fascinated chatting to crime writers who have written across multiple series like you have. Um, what with the Jackman, Evans, Matt Ballard, Nikki Galena. Um, when when you've got an idea, how do you know who's going to test themselves on this case, which character it belongs to? Um, I'm very much, I think of the characters and then work out a plot line for, for what's, what's going to occur with them. And because they now, I mean, there's 12 books in the Fen series with Nikki Galena uh, and of seven in the um, Jackman books, and there's just three, four in the uh, Matt Ballards. Um, I, I have all their backstories in my mind, and I've already kind of planned where their lives are going. So the next book is always, it's a little like watching a soap, I guess. You, you've kind of got all these characters with their own life, and you put that in, and then every, every plot line is different, and I'll try and find something that will fit fit in with that particular team uh, and those particular detectives. Um, some are a little more psychological. The Matt Ballard's very much so. Uh, in fact, because Matt Ballard, I retired him on purpose uh, from the force. He's become a, an, uh, a, a private detective. Um, they can be very different because you have no forensics to fall back on. He can't sort of go to all his old mates in the in the force and get answers to things. It has to be done in a different way. So you use the character very differently, especially the protagonist. Uh, you can have some really sort of evil people out there uh, who haven't, they're not necessarily killers, but it's quite interesting the way they all evolve differently, very much so. That leads to the question then, if quite often you're choosing a character to write for and then coming up with the plot. Why create new detectives to tell their stories? When you've written, you know, Nikki Galena, why create Matt Ballard? Why Talk me through that process. Matt Ballard, well, funnily enough, I, I had written the first book of the Matt Ballards a long while ago um, because I did, as I said, I did do a lot of writing when I wasn't getting published. So I, I never let anything go. I kept it all. And the first Matt Ballard was one that I changed very much. I changed the characters. I changed a lot of the plot line. But it was already a, a book in itself. But it would not have suited Nikki Galena and it would not have been a Jackman book. 
but I actually liked the storyline and I thought, hmm, I, I really want this to be a, a book again. And, and I wrote it simply as Matt Ballard because I could do that because he had no history. He had no baggage with him, so he could suit the book. Uh, and that was why I did it. Um, it also gives the writer a chance not to become stale with with one particular character. Um, because, I mean, to be honest, I've now written, although they're not all in print yet, 25 books. Um, if it was all one series, I think by now it could be time to time to call a day. Um, and I don't want to do that. So, and I've got, you know, they're very different people. And I like getting into different heads. So I can leave Nikki for a little while and go and jump into Jackman's head, uh, which for me is, it, it, it keeps you a bit fresher, keeps it more sort of alive. How do you know whose head you want to jump into next? Uh, generally, I, I talk that through with, with Jasper because, you know, we have to think of the marketing side as well. We've got lots of fans for, for the Nikki Galina books and a huge amount for, for Jackman now because uh, of the Audible uh, taking the Jackman books and they've been hugely successful on as audio books. So, and they always come out as an audio book four months before the book itself because they're all exclusives. So it's, it's a very different, um, you know, I get a different kind of timeline with them. They sort of tell me when they would like a book and I fit in the writing of it. Well, it came into my head uh, two books before because the uh, Alistair Ashcroft is the protagonist in this one. And it's his story, two books back. They he, he evolves to be a very sadistic killer. And the detectives sadly do not catch him. This the, the book before they unfortunately it's called The Guilty Ones, and they never managed to get him. He got away. He was the one that got away. And from that point on. He has been lurking in the background. The, the next book didn't even, it mentioned him just because you knew he was out there somewhere, but nobody knew where. The storyline had nothing to do with him, but he was a shadow hanging over them. And the whole point of the patient man is when he comes back. He comes back for revenge on Jackman and Marie Evans, his sergeant, and anyone around them. And of course, they are desperate to catch him. They're not going to let him go this time. What made you decide it was the right moment to bring him back? I don't like dragging things on um, and, and sort of overdoing them, but I felt the one book gap in the middle was just right for it. Just left him there as a threat, and then I would bring him back. Now, you've got the that idea. You know the characters that you're going to write it for. You know that um, uh, Alistair Ashcroft is coming back. What happens next then? In the time where you've made that decision and you're sitting there at your computer in front of Word, writing in Times New Roman, what happens in, in the process between doing that and typing that very first sentence? Uh, it is uh, All I need is one, one simple action. Uh, I just need to know where it starts. I need to know how he makes first contact. And I need to know in my head what he has in his mind, how he's going to threaten them, in, in what way is he going to um, <clears throat> try try to overpower them. I mean, he, he basically does want to kill both of them. And it's just how he goes about it. As long as I've got it in my head, how he's going to do it, 
then I just start and I just let it roll. When you've written characters for so long, when you know so much about them, I mean, there's like 11 or so in the Nikki Galena ones, seven or so in the Jackman and Evans ones. Um, how much are you thinking about, you know, new readers, I guess? I, I, I mean, more the, the characterization. Like if we've been with these characters for a long time, how much are you thinking of still revealing new parts of their personality that maybe you've only just discovered yourself? Well, I think I treat them like real people. Uh, and if you are, you know, in, in contact with, with someone, you learn things about them all the time. I mean, I do hope these characters evolve in a natural way. Um, you know, there's lots lots going on in their lives, but mainly it, it, they are very much um, tied to the job. Uh, so they become very, it, they interact together as a team very, very well. Uh, I occasionally bring in a character that uh, disrupts, but uh, generally they, they get on well. Uh, and I, I like them to just evolve as it goes. And, and as I throw sort of the odd spanner in the works for them, I, I know how they would react. And then sometimes I make them react totally differently. Um, you know, I, I just like them to, to, to keep evolving. So what happens next then when, when you've figured out with Alistair Ashcroft how he's going to get in touch, obviously without spoiling anything, uh, anything too much, uh, how do you know what comes next? Quite often writers might describe the journey of their story like a, like a roadmap and, uh, you know, you know where you start. Perhaps you might have an idea where you finish. When are things coming clear to you through the windscreen, Joy? Uh, to be honest, it, it's always a great surprise as to how things turn out because I'm inclined to take one section and uh, work it through and the next one just opens up. It, it, I can't even describe it. I do not have a clear plan. I never do. I know what I want the very end to be. But oh, to say that is even wrong because... I know what I want to happen to a certain person, but how it happens... How do you know that? Sorry, Joy, how, how do you know that? I think there's there's got to be, in the case especially of Alistair Ashcroft, I, as I say, I didn't want him to go on and on and on. I, I've read series where you get somebody who gets away and gets away again and again, and I personally, I didn't want this to happen. I wanted it just to be a, a sort of three books, one where you meet him and he does get away and you know he's going to be a threat. The next one, he's just a threat in the background. And then, you know, I think he deserved his comeuppance in some way uh, for this one. I didn't want to take it any further. I like to, to derail people. I, I very much like to send you on a, a thought process that makes you think, oh, this person's in danger. Um, and they actually aren't. You know, it's somebody else who's in danger. Um, I think you're thinking that every every chapter you write, there's there's something in it that could lead you one way or another. Uh, so it is in my mind all the time that I don't want this to be straightforward. I, I, you know, yes, you might. Some people like to actually know who's done it, and you just work out how to get there. But I, I do like to have a, as many twists and turns as I possibly can. You mentioned that you've got a vague idea what the ending is, but not how you're going to get there how how do you start to feel that this is drawing to an end? At what point do you realise, oh, okay, that's how this is all going to finish? I would think about three quarters of the way through the book. Um, I, Depending on how I've built 
all the sort of subsidiary characters uh, in, it, it rather, they are inclined to sort of have their own story running. And sometimes you realise they've got a bigger part than you thought. Um, this book particular, for me, was a bit of a surprise how it ended <laughs> because it was not what I planned. But as I was writing towards the end, I thought, oh, yes, this is exactly how it's going to happen. This this is going to answer questions right across the board. And, and it just worked. I mean, I, I, I do believe it worked well. Well, if it's answering questions right across the board without getting too airy-fairy and out there, is it... How much of this story is is already complete in your head and you just haven't yet figured it out yourself yet, if that makes sense? That's a good point. I, I honestly don't know. I I always feel that the the book just, it is honestly like watching a TV programme and you're never quite sure what's going to happen next. And, and it just seems to occur and I, I just get it down. It's just... It's most peculiar. I, I I can't even explain how we get from A to B. I really can't. It's just a a surprise for me. I just know what my my characters are capable of, and I let them do whatever comes across their path. I let them take it and and run with it. If you don't know what's next in the plot, how much do you know about, or how much are you thinking through the word that comes next? You say you're a bit of an overwriter. Uh, are you always looking for the the perfect next word? Oh yes, I do. I do. I live with a thesaurus. I mean, it's just I just am never quite content with with exactly as I've got it until I've really played around with it. Sometimes um, the the right word does often evade me, and I just have to get it right. So that's very often whether reading it the next morning suddenly the right word is there. So I'm happy with what I've done. And and lastly, when you worked in a bookshop there, Joy, uh, how much did you learn about book writing through book selling? I learned what to appreciate. Um, I, I, I can't say I learned anything about actual writing, but I know I read so much. I really did. It was just, uh, you know, the books that came in attracted me, covers attracted me, titles attracted me. So I did realise that, you know, there's a lot more to what is, to, to sell a book, there's an awful lot more than just what's inside it. Um, the, the, the titles and the covers really really sort of could draw you. Um, and I think I just got an appreciation for everything that is about a book. I mean, I've read read since a tiny one. I mean, I, I started reading quite early and I, I loved books, always have done. But actually working with them, you get such an appreciation for how they're put together. Um, I don't think I learned anything about actual writing, but I certainly learned a lot about how to sell a book. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine with Joy Ellis. If you enjoyed the chat, uh, if it's inspired you to read some of her stories, you can get a link to get a copy of the brand new one, The Patient Man, over at writersroutine.com. Next week, we're chatting to the award-winning author and the critic Michael Arditi about his brand new book, The Anointed. Now, uh, a month or so ago, six weeks, something like that, he, uh, I, he was on a session that I chaired at the London Book Fair. If you saw any of that, 
it's more of the same, more brilliance from Michael. You can hear from that next week on the show. In the meantime, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts from so it automatically downloads. We'll have another random routine for you as well midway through next week, either Tuesday or Wednesday. I keep forgetting which day I release it, so there's no consistency there. In the middle of the week, you get a little bite-sized chunk of inspiration to help start your day. You can always follow us on Twitter as well, at WritersPod there. Get in touch, writersroutine.com, and you can support the show, patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. And I will see you next week with Michael IDT on the show. Until then, bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.